Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. A blistering expose of misogyny and racism in the late 19th century Australia, The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson, is Leah Purcell's first feature-length fiction film as a director, but it's a story that she lived with for years, from which she first heard The Seed as a child in 2016, and she adapted for the stage and subsequently became this wonderful film. Um, We're joined today by the director, producer, writer, and lead actor in the film, and that would be Leah Purcell. Leah, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. As I said before we get started, this is such a compelling, sweeping drama, and from the very first scene in the film, it just grabs you and pulls you along. I, I know it's based on a story by Henry Lawson. What about that story and what inspired the other part of it, which is your part of the film? Um, what, what inspired all of that? Yeah, yeah. Well, Henry Lawson, I guess, would be an equivalent to your Mark Twain over there. He's considered, uh, Henry's considered our greatest short story writer. And in his first publication of his book of um, short stories, Drover's Wife was one of them. So it's considered a classic in our country. So with my producing hat on, I said, that's a story that I'm going to have an audience for already made. So it was a bit of a Trojan horse where the loyalists would may have thought they were coming to get a literal interpretation. But then as an Indigenous woman, as a storyteller in my clan, as a truth teller of how we want, well, the nations to perceive our, our history, um, it was an opportunity to weave my Indigenous story and my my Indigenous family's story through it to be able to tell the story, tell our history from a contemporary Indigenous woman's perspective, looking back at my family's history. So I call that my pepper. I wanted to sprinkle that through to, to, to give another element, to give another subtext to Henry's interpretation of women on the land in those days. Um, but I fell in love with that story when I was five years old because my mum had the book. So she read it to me and then she'd recite it to me. And I know I was five uh, because there was I wrote little things in the book that, that, that you did in grade one, never on the words, but always in a, in a margin. I think it was because it was the first time I used my imagination and I put myself and my mother in that story because it was very similar to my upbringing. My mother's Aboriginal and my father, he's white, but he had no nothing to do with my upbringing. So um, it was me and my mum. We lived on the in the last street of a country town. We had a combustion stove, so we had a wood heap. My mother could swing an axe. She taught me to split the logs to chips, and she taught me to stack the wood heap. And she would say, don't stack it holler or the snakes would get in, in, in under. And their words that were resonating with me from the story of Henry Lawson that she would read and recite to me. And I was that her protector. I was that little boy in Henry Lawson's story. And my mother was the hero. You know, she was the mother and the father of the household. 
And then, of course, later when I, you know, when I thought about it a bit more, my, I remembered my mother was a drover in her young days. She would go droving with her father and he was a drover. And for the American audiences that don't know what a drover is, it's like a person that musters, like a shepherd, I guess, with sheep that drovers would do and, and moving sheep and cattle from grassy areas to another grassy area or then then moving them to market for sale. And then just in the last five years, we found a photo of my grandfather's mother, so my great-grandmother sitting on a horse and she was a drover at 15. So it it was just something that was within me, you know, that I did not even know. And then when this urge to tell when I was ready um, I was 30 years in the industry. I was ready to tell my, you know, move into feature. Um, it was a story that I was passionate about. It was a story that ran deep within me and I just had to tell it. And I'm so glad I did, you know, from your reaction and the reaction that we've had so far. So let's frame this. This is takes place in the what 19th century. What does that mean in terms of the setting for the story? Is that the late 19th? 1893. Was the setting of the story and Henry Lawson's actual story of the drover's wife was published in 1892 and uh, I sort of found that out when I was doing some research so it's set there we're looking at the colonial um, history of the country look at the colonial invasion how the Indigenous people were treated and then and also with the women of the time as you said before the sexism the racism of that time, what a woman on the land goes through while her husband was away, the trials and tribulations of that. I wanted to empower all women. Um, I wanted to pay homage to my mother. My mother is very much in Molly Johnson and the strength of my mother. You see me play. I really tapped into my mother's, how I saw my mother, you know, and also um, looking at being an Indigenous storyteller, looking at that truth-telling from our perspective, how we saw the truth. And Yarika, who is the Aboriginal character in there, is loosely based on my great-grandfather. Now, I can't tell you what sections are true and what sections are fictionalised because it will give it away, but what you think would be far-fetched is what I'll say is the truth. Yeah, so, you know, that was, and that was me paying homage to him as a great Indigenous man because when I was writing the play at the time when I started off in 2014 there was an intervention by the government in the Northern Territory where they went into Indigenous communities and just did an investigation that really wasn't called for and um, Aboriginal men were being vilified on, on social media and I sort of said through this story there are good and bad in any race we all know that I said but what you're doing is painting every Aboriginal man to be a bad father, a bad grandfather. And I said, my white father wasn't in my life. It was my black uncles. It was my black cousins, my Aboriginal cousins, uh, males that raised me. And I and I've, I've, I have only a wonderful experience. And my great-grandfather was spoken so highly of. Unfortunately, he passed away before I was born, but he was spoken so highly of. I wanted to pay homage and give back the respect to the Aboriginal man at that at that time. And that's why I wanted to really showcase those stories and, and the humble and beautiful man that Yarika is. And people fall in love with him. And, and you're left open with what really happened, what he was blamed for. And I just say to my audience, because they would come up, because I, as a writer, I deliberately left some of my story threads open. Because as an artist, I want people to sit in at the end of the film 
sit through the credits and discuss what they think might have happened or who did that and who didn't. And when we would have the Q&As without giving anything away, I'd say, well, do you judge that man by the colour of his skin or his character? Yes. And I just said, I'm going to leave it. I'm, gonna, I'm leaving that up to you guys to decide. Absolutely. You know? yeah. yeah. Absolutely. By the way, just let Rob Collins plays beautifully. Yeah, Yannicka. Yeah. 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 He's just really compelling. And you play the lead. And one of the things about your performance that I just found wonderful is that you evolve but you as a character as as the circumstances present themselves to you but this sort of fierceness that comes through and determination that comes through in everything that your character is a part of in this film is what again just pulls you right in and you're with her and you want her to be able to succeed even though when you first meet her you may not think you're going to end up there um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about your performance and what were the challenges as a character performance, but also in wearing, we'll get to the, when wearing many hats after that, but really what was it about the character that you found, where you found your voice and what was it that? As I said before, I really based it on my, on my mother and the strength of my aunties in my family. And culturally, the Indigenous mob in the southeast of Australia we are run by the matriarch, the matriarch. So women have the voice. And I really, I also wanted to pay homage to the women on the land, non-Indigenous women on the land that have that experience as well. I wanted to empower women. You know, I wanted, you know, for a Western, it's very rare that the woman is the protagonist and the gun wheeler, you know, uh, making decisions. I wanted to... Um, Say thank you, I guess, to my mother's love, uh, how how adamant she was for her children, you know, and what she would do, the sacrifices that she made. Um, but I was very fortunate because I was wearing so many hats. I was very fortunate that I did the play first mm -hmm. because I knew where I, ha I, I had to sit Molly Johnson emotionally within me. And what I and and the challenge was to just um to turn her back. Theatre acting is bigger. You know, it's all based on truth, of course, which is 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 really important to make sure it's it's based in truth and, and you find the truth of every moment. And because I was doing so many jobs, I was that tired, I had no problems in going, I ain't going to be overacting. <laughs> and I believe in some of my best because thank goodness I've got good recall because there were some of the lines that came directly from the play. So I'd go, what am I saying today to my, you know, script supervisor? continuity on on set and where she'd read it out in a way I'd I'd go or I'd go no 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 let's get I don't need those lines we can get here so but thank goodness I had the players the foundation which allowed me to go off I just really wanted to do it right and I wanted to just do my best you know if there's no other acting jobs after this then I think I gave it my all in everything that I did with the direction, you know, um, I've got a mentor over here, Ray Lawrence, who was the um, director of Lantana and Jinderbine. And uh, he said to me, if, if, you, if you pick the right actors and your best crew, part, half of your job is done. And that's exactly what I did and allowed them to have a voice, allowed the collaboration process, my heads of department to bring insight, to, to, to utilise their expertise. And I know that they enjoyed that process where they could offer something up. And I said, I'm going to get it to here 
and then you guys experience and your expertise, we're going to get it up here, you know. And they appreciated that journey that they were listened to and they they had a voice and they take ownership of that. And on nights when it was minus, you know, we're minus one, there was one night at 3 a.m. in the morning, people are there, heart and soul, working hard for you, you know, and that's when you know you've you've made your crew feel a part of that team and that process because they do anything for you, and they did. I'm very honoured. Well, I do want to call out Mark Warham, your cinematographer. This has the sweep of, because my frame of reference is the great American Westerns, right? This, you get the big vistas, you get the landscape, you get sort of the proportionality of the character to this landscape and the relationships and all of that. You get all of that there. But then you zero in on these intimate moments and in the in the house and just many different places where you feel the you can feel the breath coming out of the the characters and so just a great job of the look of the film it really really is wonderful. Um, well, me and Mark worked together for twenty years, so he did my first um, short film, and we said at the end of that short film we said we're going to do a feature together and he was a friend of my my partners who's my partner in life and business and they were friends before so it, that relationship just developed so he's he done all my films especially um when I said I think I'm going to act in Drover's Wife and we did a film where I was acting in it and you know when you go to funding bodies in this country you know when I told them that I'm going to star write direct you know, they sort of went, whoa. And then I said, but the team around me with Mark of 20 years, my editor was the first editor on my short films. So there's 20 years working relationship with her, my continuity and and, and script supervisor. And the first, we did 10 years together in television. So I kept coming back and I'm very loyal to my team as well. I kept coming back so we could build that relationship and build that strength around me so that the financiers, my in private investors, knew that I had a strong team around me, and we were, and we were all on the same level, as well as my partner and producer Bain Stewart. He was the fifth, you know, that was there. And 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 you know, I've got to tell you the story with Mark. This is how much of a collaborator I am, and being so open to my to my heads of department having a say in the scene. I don't want to say where we are, but without giving it away, but as we're coming to the end of the film and I'm having Molly's having a crying moment yes um I I was there going oh this is my this is my Oscar moment and this is my Logie and this is my actor you know and I'm crying and there's tears and there's saliva and snot and I and I thought I was doing a great job and Mark was literally a foot in front of me he had a black cape over himself and the camera because of the reflection in my eyes. And when I finished the first take, he sort of threw it back off and went, nah, sis, it's a bit over the top, eh? Let's go again. <laughs> and I just loved that. And I looked at him and I said, mate, you're right. And he was right because we went with a more subtle take, you know. And that's what I loved about that that, that, that they felt that they could say that to me. And he was absolutely right on the money. just want to remind our listeners we're speaking with Leah Purcell, she is the director, producer, writer, and lead actor in this remarkably well-done story called The Drover's Wife, The Legend of Molly Johnson. And it is coming out to Samuel Goldwyn Pictures here in the United States on August 19th. You really want to be looking for this. Want to let people know you have a celebrated career. You, you alluded to 
theater, television, writing, and this is your first feature, like you mentioned, all the, this, you've done short films in the, in the past. It's got to feel very satisfying to continue on your journey as an artist to be able to say, this is my debut feature length mm -hmm. drama. I know the reviews have been very, very good for the film. Uh, has it opened in Australia already? Are we Absolutely. Yeah, we are in our 14th week at the cinema. So um, I am over the moon. I went to see it actually on last weekend. I do that. I sit in. I just want to listen to my audience. And, yeah, so 14th week, the, it's been well received. We've done festivals in the U.K., as well, you know, so excited that we're opening in America. But what's also great, Mike, is that I've worked on the limited premium TV series for it. Oh. Um, I've just, yeah, I've finished the Bible. We've um, had some note session with our financiers here, and and so you know the little girl in the in the film, Delphi, the daughter of Molly. Yeah. The the TV version is set in 2020 with Delphi's great 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 granddaughter. Oh and she, goodness. through her work, she goes back to the Snowy Mountains and then her family history um, presents itself to her. So it's all new stories. So even if you've seen the film, you're going to be, because a lot of people said, what happened to the children? Funny you should ask that. And you, so you get the unravelling of their their history, but this new story and set in, in a contemporary time. So that's been exciting. And there's one more, can you believe it, as well as a set of steak knives, the opera. A composer has approached us and said he wants to do the opera, whether it's the traditional opera as we know opera to be or it's a bit of like a Porgy and Bess musical uh, sound. So that's exciting. And I and, and I put my hand up to direct that one. I, I, I do come from a singing background, but I'm, I, I so want to get on to my next feature that I've just finished the treatment for that I, I need to I need to be able to clone myself. So if anyone in America has worked that out yet, uh, let me know. <laughs> let me know how to do that. We'll put our best people on that right now. Yeah. In a string of really well done Western themed films that have come out of Australia. I think of High Ground, which was excellent, Sweet Country, and now we have The Drover's Wife. The Legend of Molly Johnson. It continues along that uh, along that trail of great films that have come out. This is just really well done. So congratulations! Thank you so very much for your time. I, I can't wait to see the the series and the opera coming coming yes. soon. Hopefully, thank you, Leah Purcell. Thank you, Mike. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Film School Radio.